Good morning. It's good to see everybody again. It feels a little odd to be up here on a week after I was just up here. I don't think I've done that before. Um, if my voice is a little bit scratchy today, it's because we had a basketball tournament yesterday and I was coaching a youth team and spending plenty of time speaking loudly in the gym, trying to tell kids to get to the right spot and things like that. Um, I, could, I felt I had a little more bass tones this morning when I was singing than I usually do. So, um, With that, uh, we get to talk about Advent today. So I'm excited to do that. It's been a lot of fun. Um, one of the things that I was going through as I was reading different things and kind of preparing is I ended up kind of deep into like liturgical calendars and finding information about church years. And I appreciate that we follow, a, follow the general church calendar um, here, but it was really interesting getting into some of the, the details on churches that maybe follow a liturgical calendar far more than we do with the various feasts and festivals and commemorations that get celebrated on almost every single day of the year. There's something to celebrate in our, in our church and in the lives of uh, what has happened in church history. So uh, if you ever want to go into a rabbit hole, start just kind of getting into why the church year has been put together and what the various festivals and things that, that exist are, because it's pretty interesting. Um, for where we are today, though, we are in Advent, and this is the first Sunday of the church year, but it's December, right? January is when the calendar year starts, but the church year starts today, um, first Sunday, uh, today. Last week was the last Sunday of the church year, and in that Sunday we talked about looking forward to Christ's return and his establishing his coming kingdom we talked about how Jesus is going to divide the world into sheep and goats and how important it is for us to have our identity found in the goats. And that comes through following Jesus, receiving him, and receiving the blessings that he give to, gives to us. We talked also a little bit about the types of service that Jesus wants his followers to, to do, and that's really service to others as being service to the king himself. And that's a very appropriate way to end the church calendar as we look forward to Christ's second coming. Um, and then as we move into Advent, we keep that second coming in mind while we also look forward again to celebrate Christmas or his first coming. It's the time of year where we look forward to Christ's coming humbly as opposed to gloriously last week as a baby and him breaking into humanity for the first time. The season of Advent is a chance for us to spend some weeks in the scriptures looking at texts that point us to the coming Christ. We read from John 1 today, uh, and that is a wonderful Advent text as we read about Jesus being the light of the world and establishing creation himself. Nothing was created without him, and he is life for all of us. The world doesn't recognize Jesus. And as that text would continue, which we didn't read as part of the responsive reading, but it tells us that for those who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. That's an Advent text for us as we get to look to Christ's coming. The songs of this season also are appropriate. Um, have you ever thought about a distinction between a Christmas song and an Advent song? I think if you grab the hymn, hymnal, you probably will find there's Advent songs and Christmas songs. Um, I haven't thought about it very deeply myself, but I did kind of go through and see what songs were singing, and we got to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel this morning. It's really one of my favorite, I'm going to say Advent songs, 
Um, and we were talking a little bit about this last night. Tobias also mentioned it's one of his favorites, but he likes it because of the minor key that it's kind of performed in. So he likes it musically. Um, when we think about Advent songs and we think about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we hear the words of creation, of us asking for Christ to come into the world. Um, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is a, we call it a Christmas song, but it doesn't talk about the Christmas story. It doesn't mention the manger scenes. It doesn't talk about shepherds. It doesn't talk about angels singing. It talks about a longing for Christ to come into our lives, to come into the world, to conquer sin and death, and bring us to our heavenly kingdom. And it's definitely a song we have to look forward to Christ, to Advent. And so as we think about the Advent season, and we think about the text that we have today, which we haven't gone through yet, but we will, um, it may seem like a little bit of an odd choice for Advent. You might think this text is typically used at a different time of the church here. If you think that, you would also be correct. Um, I'm going to ha- ask everyone to stand as we read from the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a doorside outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You can be seated. Uh, let me open us in prayer. Father, as we have a chance to uh, hear about your word today and how, as you uh, triumphantly, triumphantly enter Jerusalem, um, May you just be with us and comfort our hearts and help us to look forward to uh, your second coming and the salvation that you bring to us. We thank you for your grace and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I just spent a bunch of time talking about Advent, and we've had candle reading, and we're definitely decorated for Advent. But this is Palm Sunday, right? This is a spring text. Why are we reading this in December? Right In your Bible, if you have a Bible and it's got the little headings in it that are added, that's not in the actual manuscripts, this is probably called the Triumphal Entry. And it's certainly an appropriate text for Holy Week, for Palm Sunday. That's normally when we do this. What images come to mind when we read this text? I think of being a little kid in Fergus Falls and having a big green branch to you know, do this in the middle of the aisle as we get to kind of act out a little bit sometimes um, that Palm Sunday story. We've we've done that here as well. Um, This text is taking place the Sunday before Jesus is crucified. So he is triumphantly entering Jerusalem with this big hubbub that we will spend some time uh, talking about. And in less than a week, he's going to be killed. It's 
it's an interesting text and it's just this major event in the life of Jesus. However, this text is also appropriate for Advent as we, we think about it and we talk about it. Our text starts with Mark noting, because he likes a lot of details, he notes where they are. So as Jesus drew near to Jerusalem, so it starts, they're not quite in Jerusalem, they're drawing near, and they're in Bethphage and Bethany. So these are two small towns that are close by. Um, Bethphage is lost to history. We don't exactly know where it is. Bethany exists. It's a small town near the Mount of Olives. I think, according to Wikipedia, it's now got like 20,000 people, but there's lots of recorded parts of history where they've recorded, people have visited and recorded the number of families that live in Bethany. It's a town that has existed since Jesus' time and has continued to exist. It is just outside Jerusalem. It's near the Mount of Olives, just where Mark tells us. As we would look at what Jesus has been doing prior to this text, he's been spending time in these small villages. Bethany was the town where if you go to the book of John, fairly recently, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. So there's been a major miracle that has been performed nearby in very recent memory for everybody. So that's where our text starts. And then Jesus gets into immediately telling his disciples, go find a colt, which is a young donkey, depending on how your translation reads. And he gives them very specific instructions on what to do and where to find this. Go into the village in front of you, which it's a little unclear whether the village was Bethany or Bethphage. I'm not sure that it's important. Uh, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Really specific instructions that we have recorded. Um, The disciples follow these instructions and things happen pretty much exactly as Jesus tells them. They do meet someone. That person questions them. They answer as Jesus told them to. And everything works out just fine. Right? So that's the main theme for our text today. If you do everything exactly as Jesus tells you to, everything will work out fine. And that's not really the main theme of the text. So I hope you were picking up on that. Now, maybe one could build a sermon around that. That's not where I think the text is going, and that's not where we're going to go today. Um, But it is an instructional part of the narrative for us that the followers of Jesus, his disciples who are with him, see his very clear instructions... And the things happen exactly as Jesus says they're going to happen. And so what Jesus has been doing for his disciples in particular, as we've been going through Mark, is slowly revealing more and more of his divinity to his followers. So they are continually starting to understand or improving their understanding that he is the Christ. He is God. He's more than just a great teacher or a rabbi. And this little example shows us that again. So after procuring the colt, Jesus then enters Jerusalem. And you have to listen carefully to the way I'm going to phrase this. It isn't inappropriate to understand this entering Jerusalem on a donkey as a humble entering into Jerusalem. That probably isn't wrong, but it's not really what the text is going for. For us today in modern times, we probably think of riding on a donkey as a humble thing and not what 
the important people would be doing. They would be on a horse or driving a fancy car or something, right? Having a big procession. However, in ancient times, it isn't unprecedented that kings or leaders would have been riding on a donkey. Horses were often reserved for warriors. So one could even look at this and say that perhaps Jesus is riding in on a donkey to very clearly show that he is not coming in as a warrior king. He is coming in with a different set of, a different purpose than the people think that he may have. But more importantly than anything, in terms of the why is Jesus riding on a donkey, it's because it was prophesied that he would do so. So if you had your Bible and you opened it up to Zechariah 9.9, you will see a text that all of the good Jewish people at that time would have known as pointing to the coming Messiah. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Very clearly, what Jesus is doing is riding on a donkey into Jerusalem to help those that are with him understand he is the Messiah. He is the king. That has got the crowd excited. There's a multitude with him. I don't think we have specific numbers. But those that are with him are recognizing that something is happening. What is it that they first do? Right? They throw their cloaks on the donkey and then Jesus gets on it. And as they're riding into Jerusalem, they throw cloaks onto the ground in front of where Jesus is going to be riding. Maybe those that didn't have cloaks are the ones cutting branches or they're getting branches from somewhere and they're putting them on the ground for Jesus to ride on. Right? They're recognizing that he is the coming king. They're shouting and crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Right? They're, they're laying out the red carpet for Jesus, so to speak. They're honoring him. They're making his way clean. Sometimes this is thought about a little bit as an analogy or simile or metaphor. I'm not sure my correct grammatical term there. Um, for believers, where we... The cloaks and the branches represent the things that we need to throw down in front of Jesus as he tramples them and takes them away from us, the challenges that we have. It might be a bit of a stretch, but it is clear from the text that the people have a longing and a need for something, and that something is a Savior. The first way we understand this is looking at the word Hosanna. So Hosanna is actually a transliteration does anyone know what a transliteration is? I don't need an actual answer, so I'm going to tell you, because I had to look it up. Right? So transliteration, was this was the Hebrew word, and what it sounds like in English is hosanna. That's the, the audible sounds of the word, and that's how it has come to us in our text, is hosanna. The translation, what it means, is a little bit different than the transliteration. So the translation of Hosanna, what the people are crying out in this circumstance, is save us. It's a cry of salvation. The people are crying out, Hosanna, save us, Messiah, save us. That's what is being cried out. They also are crying out, blessed or praised be to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David, kingdom of our father David. So you see 
this idea that the crowd that is there is recognizing a, a, a need and a desire for Jesus to come in and establish the kingdom of David, right? Save us. They're asking for salvation. And this is what Jesus intends to do, but not in the way that they're asking for necessarily. And as I thought about that, I was thinking, what is it that people need saving from today? What is it that we want or need to be saved from? And perhaps if you were to ask people, they would say, I need saving from the difficulties or hard times of life, some circumstances that I'm going through. Maybe we need saving from pain or, or poor health. Um, maybe we need saving from the other political party, whoever that is, or from people who don't understand us or think differently from us and they're, they're oppressing us in some way. Maybe we need saving from the financial stress and strain that is so easy to exist, um, from physical difficulties. And these are all things that can cause us to cry out, Jesus, save us, Hosanna, we need saving. What was it, if we go back to our text, what was it that the people wanted saving from? And the first and most obvious answer is they wanted saving from the Romans the outside people who were ruling and oppressing them. And they were excited that Jesus was coming in to establish his kingdom, the kingdom of David, and he was going to get rid of their oppressors, is what they thought. Now perhaps some had a little bit of a deeper understanding and they had just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And maybe they understood that we need salvation from death. And kudos to those who would have understood that. But either way, the people were crying out in a need for salvation. As humans, we do look to Jesus and God, and we cry out for him in times of distress and trouble. This is appropriate. Jesus wants us to bring our concerns to him. However, if all we do is bring our concerns to him, and all we expect Jesus to save us from is the troubles of the world, that is incomplete. That is not Jesus' plan. He has a far greater plan from only saving us from distress and troubles. He had a far greater plan for his people than just saving the Jewish people from the Romans. That was far, far too small for what Jesus wanted to do. It is not simply enough for me to be an earthly king, says Jesus. It isn't enough for me to heal you or aid you or physically and temporarily make you feel better. I am going to defeat sin and death. I am going to prepare a place for you where all your troubles will be resolved. A kingdom that we heard about last week. And your troubles will be resolved permanently. I'm going to do this fully and completely. And this work is not going to look like you expect. I'm going to die on a cross and pay for all your sins. And give you my righteousness, my righteousness, not me, him. And I'm going to bring you into my kingdom. I'm going to give you my identity, which we talked about last week. I'm going to change you from being a goat to a sheep. And as we begin Advent, and we look forward to Christmas, the start of the church year, the beginning when Christ enters into humanity, we look forward to his true and final return his glorious return and his coming kingdom, but we give thanks for the blessings that we have received from salvation that Jesus has given to us. The salvation from our sin, 
Not just making us feel better, not just helping us in our times of trouble, but truly resolving and dealing with the root problems that we have spiritually and eternally. And we thank him for the identity that he has given us and that he has placed on us. As we say in John 1, we receive him and gain the right to become children of God. So Advent for us is a time of preparation and anticipation. And today is not just Advent, but it is also Communion Sunday. And we give thanks and we look forward to celebrating Christmas, but we also search our hearts and again find where we do not measure up. We find where we have our needs and we bring those needs to Jesus and we cry out for his salvation. So let us again confess our sins to turn from them and receive God's grace and con- to receive God's grace again and continually and eagerly anticipate his return. Amen.